Hey, now, say now, you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here at the Momentum Studios in the city of Portland, Oregon. Quick announcements. Check out the Street Roots podcast. Our latest interview was with Senator Ron Wyden. Make sure you subscribe to the Street Roots podcast with Devon Pouncey wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, I need to do better at telling you all to go buy a paper. Go find a local vendor here in the city of Portland and purchase one of our weekly publications over at Street Roots. Um, I am the vendor program director at Street Roots as well. So again, I got to do better at promoting my own program here on this podcast because when you see folks out there on the streets selling the newspaper, trying to earn an honest income, um, they do. They are a part of the direct the the program that I am director over, which is the vendor program at Street Roots. Super proud to be obviously a part of the organization and some of the phenomenal work that the organization does. I'm also glad to be a part of an organization um, that takes real pride in its journalism. You know, obviously I, I host a podcast for the organization, but our editorial team is dynamite and we are always keeping you afloat when it comes to the latest in social justice here locally in the city of Portland. So go find a vendor. We have, it's $1 for a newspaper. You also can tip a vendor if you would like. And also we have an option for Venmo as well. So you can actually Venmo vendors as well. We do Venmo payouts twice a week. So we do bi-weekly Venmo payouts for the vendors. For those of you that may not have cash on you when you run into a vendor, don't let that be the excuse for you not to purchase a newspaper. So go ahead and support that. Now let's get to the content. And obviously... We've been talking about these NBA playoffs, this NBA postseason. It's been a dynamite one. It's been a competitive one. But I know why y'all are here. We talked about Gary Payton a second last week, friend of the show. And a couple days ago, Dylan Brooks decided to straight up clean clock him upside the head while he was in midair trying to finish a basket. Payton lands awkwardly fractures his elbow he's out for probably about approximately a month approximately approximately a month he'll be out i saw reports today that said um they'll check back and see what the status is on him two weeks from now but it's about a three to five week injury that it is he's dealing with which which essentially means we won't see gary payton a second again this postseason unless the warriors make it to the nba finals and quite frankly there's not a more simple way of me putting what Dylan Brooks did to Gary Payton a second outside of that was some sucker shit. It was some absolute sucker shit. Now, some of you that listen to this podcast may be aware that I don't usually speak of athletes in this manner. So you might assume that my bias is kicking in because of my personal relationship with that of Gary Payton a second to even speak this ill of Dylan Brooks in regards to his action against that of Gary Payton II. And guess what? I'm not here to deter anybody from making that assumption if you so feel that you must, that my bias is kicking in. Not here to deter you from feeling that way. But what I can also assure you is that I did do my due diligence as a journalist and spoke to sources, a source in particular, but a source that is very close to the situation when it comes to the history of Gary Payton II and Dylan Brooks, because what a lot of people don't seem to be talking about, especially from the mainstream media front, is 
These dudes go back. They go back. They played college basketball at rival schools. Gary Payton II, obviously a standout star at Oregon State playing for the Beavers. Dylan Brooks was a standout star at the University of Oregon playing for the Ducks. Those two guys competed against each other. I've been to a Civil War game before where they played against each other. Back when I was playing college ball as well. We all played college ball here in the market at the same time. Obviously, again, folks know my relationship with GP2. And I vaguely remember that the relationship wasn't necessarily sweet from back in those days when we were in college. But I reached out to a source to find out if what I vaguely remember was right, and it was indeed right. These two don't have a good relationship with each other, and it dates back to their days of competing against each other in college. So I can confirm that the history between these two is never sweet. So for me, there's no other way for me to believe than that what Dylan Brooks did was intentional and that it was a dirty play just from the relationship aspect. Now, let's take it to the particular play and just kind of run down what happened in the play because obviously folks are still trying to debate, was it a dirty play? Do we know if Dylan Brooks and what he did was intentional? I even saw a clip floating around on Twitter, a clip of Kendrick Perkins. He was on NBA Today, and he was speaking to the fact that he felt what Dylan Brooks did was intentional and he was making it a point to call that that Dylan Brooks should definitely be suspended for game three, should potentially be suspended for game four as well. Announcement came out today that Dylan Brooks is indeed suspended for game three. And friend of this show, Malika Andrews, who I got a lot of love for, I bigger up all the I bigger up often on this podcast. And she sort of attempted to call Kendrick Perkins out, saying that. You can't necessarily say whether that was intentional or not because essentially you're not a mind reader and you don't know. And also on the panel when Kendrick Perkins was making this statement and making the claim that this foul that Dylan Brooks did against Gary Payton was intentional, uh, Richard Jefferson was on that panel, and so was Matt Barnes. And they both agreed with Kendrick Perkins that what Dylan Brooks did was indeed intentional. And for one, let's just break the play down here. GP2 had a clear path to the basket on this play, and it looked like he was going to finish what would have been a very easy layup until Dylan Brooks pulled up and pulled the sucker shit. Like, if you just watch the play, you can see, like, GP kind of got tugged a little bit by Ja Morant, but he was square to the basket, arm fully extended, going to finish a wide-open layup, and from out of nowhere comes Dylan Brooks and just clocks him, essentially clotheslines him across his head, leading to obviously an awkward landing for GP2 and now a fractured elbow that's going to have him out for Lord knows how long. So that alone showed, tells me that it was intentional. The fact that it was clear path in itself, Dylan Brooks could have just let him finish the layup. Or if he wanted to indeed foul him, he could have just grabbed him from behind rather than just clean clocking him upside his head and trying to act as if he was going for the basketball because there was no way a guy like Gary Payton II has a, not only the bounce that he has, but he has a clear path to the lane, his arm fully extended, and although Gary Payton is only 6'3", the dude's got a 6'8 wingspan. So there's no way that you could watch that play and see 
how clean of a hit Dylan Brooks got upside the head of Gary Payton II and not be able to tell that that foul was indeed intentional. I just, I, I, I don't see how you can't see that from watching that play. Also, knowing his intent was to foul Gary Payton a second, even if, okay, it was intentional, he wanted to, you know, make a hard foul so Gary Payton a second didn't get an easy basket, basket like that. Something that's common, we hear that in basketball, don't give up the easy basket. If you're going to foul him, foul him hard. But, again, he could have just grabbed GP2. Like, in the midst of the foul, an attempt to, like, not only get a hard foul, but also break the fall, the fall that ultimately ended, and G2 trying to, GP2 trying to break his own fall with his arm lock, and then he fractured his elbow. Like, a lot of people are comparing this Dylan Brooks foul to the Draymond Green foul against Brandon Clark on Sunday, and... Although the Draymond Green foul was a hard foul, Draymond Green at least grabbed Brandon Clark by his jersey when he fouled him to make sure that he broke any fall that could have ended in maybe a fractured bone. Because now that I struck you across your face, across your head, whatever the case may be, while you were in there, in there and also, by the way, got to mention, Brandon Clark's wasn't clear path. So I think that's something to definitely acknowledge as well. But because everybody is trying to like, bash Steve Kerr for telling the media that Dylan Brooks broke the code, which he absolutely did. Folks are trying to rebuttal that by saying Steve Kerr has Draymond Green on his team and alluding to him being a dirty player, having a dirty reputation, and obviously being ejected in the game just prior to that for his foul against Dan, uh, against Clark. And again, at least he grabbed the dude's jersey and tried to break the fall. Dylan Brooks absolutely did not. He didn't grab anything. He clocked him upside the head, full speed, full-fledged momentum. He did not try to grab GP2 to save him from ultimately fracturing his elbow, falling out of midair because somebody had just knocked him upside the head at full force. So everything about that foul to me was intentional. It was out of pocket. Again, knowing that the relationship with these two has never been the greatest anyway from back in their rivalry days, that just gives me more, I guess, proof that that was a foul play. It was dirty. I think, I think Dylan Brooks should be suspended for the rest of the series. Since GP2 can't play, Dylan Brooks can't play either. I know that's a bit excessive. I'm aware of that, but I don't care. I know the NBA had to say, okay, we'll suspend him for game three. He gets suspended for the game. He'll be back for game four. I don't care. It was foul play. It was out of pocket. It wasn't okay. And I feel for GP2, man. He's been playing great basketball. And then at, the, at, at this point, Dylan Brooks won him the game with that play because John Morant, hell of a player, hell of a, hell of a performance, goes off for – 47 points <laughs> like he just absolutely goes off for 47 points so again dirty play out of pocket I agree with the suspension the bias in me might say I feel like he should be suspended for the rest of the series I don't think it's gonna happen well they they announced that he'll be suspended for game three but that shit was just out of pocket man and again, for the folks that are trying to justify Brooks foul on Peyton because of what Draymond did green did to Clark I'm just telling y'all right now, especially if you're a Memphis fan, be careful playing that game. Because essentially what you're doing is you're playing the lick back game. Where now, 
anything is fair game. And if you're a Memphis fan, like, I, I obviously acknowledge John Moran's great performance. We all know that he's a great player. One of the critiques that I've always had of him is I don't know how long his shelf life is going to be because the dude has a smaller frame and he's in the air a lot. And I ain't wishing no injury on John Morant. I'm not wishing no ill will against John Morant. And I hope that a dirty play doesn't get committed against John Morant. But that's the doors that you're opening up when you're trying to justify the bullshit that Dylan Brooks pulled against GP2. Because now, since we playing the lick back game, the Grizzlies got to come playing the Bay for a couple days for the next couple of games. So everything is fair game at this point if this is the game that you're playing. We have to not promote this. We have to not try to look at this as revenge. If you think the Draymond Green play was foul and it was wrong, fine. Allow these two plays to be independent, though, please. Because if we're going to make it where since Draymond did this, GP2 got this handed to him and that came this way. Because now if something happens to somebody like a John Morant, all hell is going to break loose. But again, when you're having the mentality that, hey, it's fair game, tit for tat, lick back for lick back. I know y'all listen to a lot of ESTG out there in Memphis. I know he signed to Yo Gotti, who was sitting courtside with T. Morant. I'm aware his, his hottest song is, is called, it's titled Lick Back. I know what's going on. I know the street side of this, too. We listen to ESTG out west. It's an energy thing, man. If that's the energy being put out there, hey, man, you got two games coming up in the Bay, and now everything is fair game because GP2 now has to sit out for a month. This is a pivotal year for this guy. He's worked hard, been back and forth from the league to the G League for years now, finally was able to stick, find a home with the Warriors. This could have not only – implications on the Warriors and what they're able to do this postseason. This can have economic implications on him going into this summer, into free agency, where he's probably earned himself a pretty significant bag, one bigger than probably he's ever earned before because the guy played great this year. And if you want to take it a step further, he got guaranteed less than $2 million this season. If the Warriors do make it to the finals, he's probably making more in playoff bonuses this season alone than he would have been on the current contract that he's on. So not only do the economic implications go into free agency this summer, they're, they go into right now, man, into what's going on right now because this playoff run could essentially, essentially be just as lucrative for him this year as what he's earned playing 82 games this season. So again... Be careful with that energy, man. Keep the plays independent. If you think Draymond's green play, Draymond Green's play was dirty, cool, call it dirty. But don't try to justify what Dylan Brooks did as essentially a lick back and the, and the Grizz getting their revenge for what, Jay, uh, for what Draymond Green did to Clark on Sunday. Because, again, now you're opening up a can of worms where anybody can get it. And that's all I got to say on that one. Up next, I got Coach Brian Billings, head coach of Pacific University Baseball, getting ready to join us. They are back-to-back -back Northwest Conference champions, another automatic bid to the Division III NCAA tournament. We'll be right back here with you all in just a few. On the line right now, we have Pacific University baseball coach, also 
back-to-back Northwest Conference Tournament champion baseball coach Brian Billings, man. Glad you could join us. Congratulations on another automatic bid to the NCAA Tournament. Uh, thank you so much, Pounce. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, great to be on your uh, on your podcast. Absolutely, man. Great to have you. Obviously, as a boxer alum, I want to start off saying I'm proud of what you guys have cooking up over there on the Diamond. Um, again, being able to win back-to-back championships in the Northwest Conference is no small feat. Being able to go to back-to-back NCAA tournaments is no small feat either. So I'm a proud boxer, first and foremost. But beyond just that, You know, I interviewed you during halftime of a game this season, during a boxer football game this past season, after you won the 2021 title and had a nice run in the NCAA tournament. And you sort of kind of talked about the challenges that led up to your program ultimately becoming NWC champs last year. And obviously one of the major challenges was coming off of a year of 2020 where your season gets halted in the spring because of COVID and Ultimately, guys had to really commit to a program, not knowing when the next time they would ever even be able to play baseball again. Those guys committed. Once baseball returned for you in 2021, you were able to become Northwest Conference champions and ultimately have a solid run in the tournament. Now, every championship comes with its own set of hurdles, though. You're able to go back to back and win it again this year. What were some of the challenges that you all had to overcome this season that makes this particular title a special one It's in its own right, the way that 2021's title was a special one in its own right? Uh, yeah, th- thank you for the question. Um, well, I guess, first of all, this year uh, compared to 2021 was, uh, was a lot more challenging. We had um, quite a few... Um, challenges along the way we had some we had some injuries to some of our top players uh at the very beginning of the year um you know we had uh we lost our first two series so you know we we uh kind of went into conference play um you know we were picked to picked as the favorite to win the conference uh and we got punched right in the gut right at the beginning you know so we lost two out of three to plu you were the hunted uh, you were the hunted yes yeah yeah you know, and, and that's one thing we, we noticed is, you know, when it, when anybody beat us, I mean, it was, you know, they were, it was their world series, you know, they were celebrating. And, and, uh, so, I mean, we were definitely had a target on our back and, and, uh, we felt that early on. Um, and I, I think maybe we, uh, we were read, reading some of the newspaper clippings a little too much early on as well. And, and, uh, you know, just got punched in the gut a little bit and, and had to, had to get through some of that stuff. And, uh, but we got back on track and, and, um, you know, started winning series and just winning games one at a time and, you know, climb back into it. Um, and then, uh, and then towards the end, um, you know, all we had to do was win the series against George Fox and, uh, and they walked us off in back to back games. And, uh, and, and then after the game, we found out that we won the conference anyway, because, uh, the teams that we needed to lose, uh, lost. And so, mm. um, so we ended up, uh, winning the conference. Um, it's kind of a, a little subplot there though, because, uh, uh, university of Puget sound, uh, was short, uh, four games because of COVID they lost a series against, uh, against Whitman and they lost a single game against Lewis and Clark. So they had four games to make up Yeah, and, 
if they would if they would have won all four of those games, they would have actually been the co-champions. Got it. Uh, with us and uh, Linfield, and they would have had the tiebreaker. So we had to wait um, until I believe it was Wednesday of the conference tournament to find out that we were hosting the tournament mm. on that on that Friday. So um, we we were kind of, we had a bus on standby. We had hotels ready to go. And, uh, but we found out that we were actually the, uh, the tournament hosts because Puget Sound lost a game. And, uh, yeah, so then we hosted the tournament and, um, you know, compared to the year before where we won our first three games and, you know, basically Willamette had to beat us twice on Sunday. Um, we lost our second game. So, um, we went into the losers bracket and we had our backs against the wall and we had to win a game um, against PLU just to get to Sunday. Right. Um, and then we had to beat Linfield twice on Sunday. Mm. Um, they only they only had to beat us once. And so, um, and we actually we got it done. I mean, we beat them twice, and and uh, our guys, uh, you know, approached everything the right way. They they weren't trying to, you know, win two games with one swing of the bat. They were just trying to win pitches and. Um, just really proud of the way we came out on that Sunday and, and got the job done and, you know, won the, won the tournament championship and got to dogpile on our field for the second year in a row. So that's beautiful. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great feeling. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now you also have a little bit of concern. Obviously, again, your team has an automatic bid to the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament fresh off of the dog pal. But um, I saw you post a tweet shortly after the tournament in regards to the ranking system. Um, at least as of April 27th, there were zero Northwest Conference schools ranked in the West region. And you had a little bit of a bone to pick with that. Can you speak more to why that's an issue that no team in the Northwest Conference was ranked in the West region alone and maybe some of the things that um, the Division Three ranking system needs to look at to be able to make changes to the discrepancies that you see, obviously, with the experience yeah. you have coaching at this level? Yeah, well, um, I think the West is the West region is just at a disadvantage, and just in general, just because uh, our schools and our uh, our conferences are so spread out. Especially the Northwest Conference, we're really isolated up here in, in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, so it's hard to build our SOS or our strength of schedule. And um, there's no, um, you know, there's no. Um, there's nothing that we can do about it. I mean, there's just no easy answer. Um, and, and so the, the West, the West region has four AQs, four automatic qualifiers. Um, and it's really tough to get at large bids out of the West region. So, um, that's kind of the point of my, of my tweet there was, you know, I, I think the West region is, is the best region in, in the country. You know, I mean, I yeah. think, four out of the last eight or four out of the last 10 or something like that, uh, national champions came out of the West region. And, uh, so there's really good baseball being played out here and and we're just not, um, we're not being represented in the, in the national tournament. Um, you know, as far as that large bids go. So, you know, we get our, we get our four AQs, uh, the winner of the Northwest conference, the winner of the sky act, the winner of the ASC, uh, and the winner of the SCAC, the two the two uh, conferences down in Texas, uh, and then usually there might be one or two more um, teams that get at large bids out of the West, but that's it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, every year there's going to be, uh, two West regionals. So eight teams, eight, you know, two, four team regionals. Um, there's also on the national, um, the national, uh, scene for regionals, there's, uh, I believe 14, four team regionals and then two, two team regionals. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up going to a two team regional, uh, and end up playing the, the winner of the sky act tournament in a best of five series down in Southern California. Um, yeah. so we'll, we'll see, um, we'll see what happens. I think that's what happened, uh, in 2019, you know, Whitman won the tournament and they went down to play Chapman in a five game series down there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again this year. When is bracketology day for you guys? We've planned out on uh, Monday, uh, May 16th is Selection Monday. Selection um, so Monday. So they announce all the, yeah, they announce all the regionals um, and all the, all the seating for all the regionals and, and we'll find out where we're, where we're going. So it's a pretty long wait for us. Um, but then it's pretty quick turnaround. Once we find out where we're going, we got to, you know, get ready to go. And I think we leave like two or three days later. So it's, uh, it's exciting, but it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of buildup for it. A lot of anticipation. Definitely. Definitely. So in our conference, we play our conference tournament, um, really early compared to the rest of the country. So we're, you know, we, I mean, we finished our tournament, what, two weekends ago. And, you know, we, we still got a couple weeks before we find out where we're going. So, um, you know, got to get creative with practice planning and, you know, scrimmages and live ABs and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, it's going, it's going good so far. We're getting some crummy weather right now, but we're trying to figure it out. So yeah, got to push through, got to push through. Um, I want you, I want you before you get out of here to just sort of talk about the boxer Ohana, obviously, um, a a very significant, a very significant portion of the boxer student body comes from Hawaii. I know at least when I went there, it was about 25% of our student body was Hawaii. I don't know if that number has increased since then, but you also obviously recruit guys from out of Hawaii to come here to the mainland, essentially, play baseball for Pacific University. Talk about the impact that some of the Hawaiian student athletes have had on boxer baseball and the success that the program is having at this particular moment in time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got a ton of a ton of players from from Hawaii and and they're just they're all uh, great kids. And, and, um, you know, we got some really good players on our, on our team from the state of Hawaii. I mean, our, you know, the guy who kind of led us on the mound to the, uh, the tournament championship, Kahi Bisho, um, Kahi went to university of Kansas out of high school and was there for a couple of years and then transferred to, to Pacific to pitch for the boxers. And he's been, you know, his first team all conference guy, uh, just been one of the best pitchers in the conference. Uh, for the last two years for us. So, um, you know, in our lineup, you know, we got three or four Hawaiians that start, um, Hawaiian players that start. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've just got a rich history, as you know, um, at Pacific with, with students from Hawaii. I think close to 20% of our student population is from the state. And uh, so in our roster reflects that, that percentage as well. And, and uh, I mean, they're, they're awesome, man. They're loyal. They, they work their butts off and, and, uh, you know, they, they just care a lot about 
being the best version of themselves. So it's been, it's been awesome to, 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 to continue with that, um, you know, recruiting players from that state. And, you know, we've had a lot of success with it for sure. Absolutely. Well, coach again, man, congratulations. Keep up the great work. Um, obviously again, as a boxer alum myself, I will be rooting you all on in the NCAA tournament this year. Get creative, man. I know this weather is crummy. It's making it hard to get out there on the diamond and prepare to the best of your ability. But I believe in your coaching abilities, man. You're a back-to-back champion. You, you, you can get it done. You can get your guys prepped and ready to go out there and try to make a good run at it in an NCAA tournament. Thank you so much. Yeah, we got great facilities, so we're we're definitely able to to keep our guys tuned up and and we'll be ready to go. So I appreciate it, Ponce. Thanks again for having me on, man. Absolutely. No problem and go boxers. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Go boxers. Take care, bud. All right, so Spencer's in here for, with me for this segment. What up? What up? He's here with me for this segment. Yeah, I'm in here, bro. I was in here for the last Yeah, segment. yeah, yeah. You came I, in. You I, came in as I was in a A lot of, of people don't you know. know this, that a lot of the times I sit in here and I just get to listen to the interview. So it's awesome. It's like I get to listen to the podcast as it happens. Yeah. An incredible person <laughs> sitting here, especially when all my takes are trash. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got to get some benefit out of it. No, nah, man, I'm, I'm happy to be here. What's good, P? Oh, man, you know, just, uh, you know. Letting Dylan Brooks have it to start off. R.I.P. Dylan Brooks right now because I'm gonna t- listen, <laughs> bro. I mean, I ain't, I ain't gonna say R.I.P. Dylan. Brooks, no, I'm but just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, 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 I did say what he pulled was some sucker shit, man. I, and, and listen, bro. And and I was listening to. Like I said, I was in here and I was listening. And I, this is all I'll say about it because I think that you left it on the right note. Like, absolutely, keep the same energy when you're trying to justify clearly a non-basketball play. It was dirty, and it was not dirty in the malicious like oh i'm gonna go send a message to this guy it wasn't dirty like oh man i gotta like make a sacrifice for my team because he's a key player or whatever it was strictly dirty because he got smoked off the dribble and he got embarrassed and he did some sucker shit to him and then you ended up costing this guy money and it's like you already know bro watch twitter in the next few days when these games start popping off and if and when anything happens that people are gonna Try to, you know, uh, have it both ways. Yeah. I'm saying, oh, well, you can't do that. That's, that's dirty. I'm sorry, but if you're going to justify, which is such a sucker way to. Yeah. Oh, because of what Draymond. I can't stand it. Obviously, I'm hearing a lot of that from like Memphis fans. I heard it from some Memphis media. Definitely hear it from, from, you know, the, the Skip Baylesses of the world, but just. Anybody, Mad Dog Russo, obviously J.J. Reddick had to let him have it um, on ESPN. But, like, trying to, like, downplay Steve Kerr, calling that a dirty play by calling Draymond a dirty player, to me, that's just weak T. Like, that's a lame way of going about it again. If you think Draymond Green is a dirty player, cool. But that don't mean you can sit here and not acknowledge how dirty of a play it was that Dylan Brooks made or, again, try to look at it as a revengeful act. Because, again, a lot of folks aren't really paying attention to the fact that these dudes have been rivals since college. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always been not so good blood, pretty much bad blood between these two players. But because they obviously aren't like your NBA superstars, we're not necessarily hearing that narrative right now. Right. But it does exist. It is a thing. So what Dylan Brooks did was absolutely dirty. It wasn't cool. It shouldn't be justified. And... And for for reasons I I already alluded to at the top of the episode, and 
Yeah, man. Like, like again, now you just open a can of worms. Like, obviously, you already got Draymond Green flipping the fan base off because not only is the fan base defending Dylan Brooks and what it was that he did when Draymond gets his head busted and he's bleeding from the head, the fan, the fan base is cheering about the fact that he got split open. So, I mean, you saw his post-game presser where he talked about <laughs> you know, flipping off the fans in Memphis. So, again, it's just now you're opening a can of worms that none of us should want to see be open first and foremost. Like, you can be ultra competitive without being dirty. And, again, now John Morant might have a target on his back. And why would Memphis want to even put him in position to have a target on his back by the way that they're acting towards Warrior players and trying to defend the nasty-ass action of Dylan Brooks? But here's the deal, bro. John Morant's not making that case any better for himself at the end of the game. Again, admittedly, we've said you said it on the pod already, but I have to reiterate it. 47 points. Hell of a game. Hell of a game. But you're not going to sit here and go start running your mouth when you barely squeak out a game and you had to put on a Herculean performance and talking about, oh, you can't guard me, nobody can guard me. The guy that could guard you just got duffed out. And yeah. had his elbow broken. Yeah. So, like, what are you really talking well, about well, right I, now, Well, no, I don't even mind that from, like, a competitive standpoint because Ja is at least consistent in that. Like, Ja talks, he showboats. Like, Ja, that's the type of competitor he is. So, I don't necessarily mind him being proud of himself after having a phenomenal performance. Do I agree with you that they probably lose? He might not go for 47 points if GP2 he is available that, is that whole game. For yeah, points. I agree with Everybody you for that. Everybody in the basketball world But at the same time, that. John Morant can only control what he could control. And what he did control was the fact that he went out there and dropped 47 points, yeah. made some big-time shots late in the game to go get his team to victory. Like, I'm not asking them to apologize for winning. By, by no means am I asking them to apologize for winning. What I'm saying is the reaction to what Dylan Brooks pulled, it was foul play, bro. Yeah. And if you can't acknowledge that as foul play, don't try to play victim if the Warriors some way somehow get their lit back, lick back too. Again, I'm not condoning it. I'm not wishing for it. But that's the can of worms, when you, worms you open when you try to justify the nasty that Dylan Brooks pulled. I mean, the series is definitely going to be much more interesting. And I think that, I mean, you know, if you want to try to zoom forward a bit, you know, Memphis is a young team and this is the exact type of series that you see these sorts of moves and you see the way that they play. And, and you say, I mean, to try to be objective about it. I mean, this is kind of the perfect series and the perfect team for them to play in order for them to get the goods that they need to be able to take it to that next level. Because I still think without Gary Payton the second, I still think the Warriors are probably good to get this one done in six I, now. I agree. Just I, I, mean, like I mean, the reality the is home. they did what they had to do winning game one. Like, they, they took home court yeah. from Memphis winning game one. You only got to steal one to be able to get home court when, when you're the lower-seeded team. They did just that. Now it is going to be a gauntlet in San Francisco. <laughs> and Lord knows I wish they was playing in Oakland. <laughs> Lord knows I wish for this moment Duck. right now. Duck. I wish this game was. These Duck. next two games were being played in Oakland. They better duck if they can't. Oh, man. Bridge. Oh, man. After after what happened. Oh, man. Oh, I, I'm duck. telling you. It's nothing I wish more <laughs> than 
we were in Oracle Arena for the next two games yeah. rather than the Chase Center for the energy that's on display right now. And yeah. again, I love the ultra competitiveness. I feel like, like again, you what, what and that's why I don't even mind John Moran. He won't all the smoke, he won't all of this. If you could talk your shit and do it within the confines of not being a dirty player or making dirty plays, I can live with that. I can't live with justifying dirty playing. And again, even with Draymond Green, I understand some of it is a reputation thing, but it's hard for me to be able to even in just comparing those two particular fouls in this series, Draymond Green at least grabbed the man's jersey for one to attempt to break the fall, which again, for GP2, because Dylan Brooks didn't try to break his fall, he tried to break his own fall and broke his elbow in the process. So I don't think you can compare from I that mean, point. And then also, GP2 <laughs> had a clear path. Like, Draymond was in front of Brandon Clark like, when he fouled him. It wasn't a clear path situation for Brandon Clark when he got fouled. GP2 had a clear path to the basket. And basically, Dylan Brooks had him in position where there was absolutely nothing he could do after being knocked up, uh, upside the head in midair and ultimately land awkwardly and fracture the elbow. I will say, though, Draymond Green definitely has a lot more practice catching dudes out of the air because he'd be blasting a lot more motherfuckers out of the air. So again, he's got a lot more but, practice in that. Uh, Dylan again, Brooks will probably get his later on. When he's Draymond, he'll be able to catch all the fools he kicks in the balls to. Again, It'll be fine. Again, I'm not justifying Draymond's dirty plays in the past. All I'm saying is, is if you learn the art of breaking the fall, that's a part of the code that Steve Kerr is alluding to. I'm not saying you can't foul somebody hard. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, I understand. It's a contact if, sport, if, after all. If Dylan Brooks wanted to foul him from keeping him from making the basket, that's one he could, thing. He could have wrapped him which, up. Exactly. Just wrap Just him wrap up. Just wrap him up, bro. If he wraps him up, the elbow doesn't get broke. GP2 plays for the rest of the game. And, the, and Warriors the Warriors probably win, <laughs> win yeah. and they're up 2-0 right now. That's but because it. he doesn't wrap him up, the guy who was assignment specifically was to guard John Moran is no longer available, and John Moran puts on an absolute yeah. show. Obviously, John Moran's a great player, so that's just what he does. But at the same time, GP2 has proven to be an elite on-ball defender in this league, and the entire reason for him to start in this series was to guard John Morant, and now the guy guarding John Morant is out for definitely the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know maybe what I mean? The rest I don't of, mind maybe a hard the rest foul. Of, maybe the rest of conference play. Pro I mean, I, I mean by, the, by the writ of the amount of time that he needs to recover – he most certainly won't be here for yeah, the entirety he he of the conference series. He wouldn't come back until the NBA finals, finals right? Which if, and, and the Warriors got to make it there, you know. And, and it ain't gonna get no easier. I gotta say though, man, that's like uh, that's just not the team that you want to like rattle their cage and piss them off. Especially when you gotta go to the Bay for the next two games. It really was stupid. It's like if you're for looking back at it, you're going, games. "Damn, Dylan, you might have just sewn our fate for us." Yeah, for the next dumb... two games, they gotta go play in the Bay. So, so stay tuned, man. Stay tuned. And we'll, wish, we'll be locked in. And I'm series. wishing Gary Payton a speedy recovery. I'm Absolutely, sure that elbow's going to heal like that. And he's going to come out and start clamping fools Absolutely. like he does. For sure, for sure. Speedy recovery, bro. Take care of yourself. Proud of you. You've been having a great year. Now let's make a hard transition into Skirt. Dave Chappelle being attacked. Chappelle, show Chappelle, show Chappelle. And then the attacker being attacked. <laughs> because that's ultimately what happened. Man. Like, like dude, he definitely got on stage, went and tackled Dave Chappelle, essentially. Yeah. And then 
He got tackled, stomped, dumped, and everything else. Yes, he did. And, I uh, heard Jamie Foxx was getting licks in. I heard there really? was like, dude, I mean, the problem is, is like, dude, that's Dave Chappelle. It's you Dave know how Chappelle. many friends yeah. that fool has? Yeah, First off, you can't, off, do, that. You you can't, can't do, that. do that. You can't do that to Dave Chappelle. And, and you know, man, uh, Chris Rock had a really funny, he's like, is that yeah. Will Smith? That's right. pretty funny. Everything, yeah, it is funny. You know, to have the ability to like stay, and we talked about this when Chris Rock got slapped by will smith to have the professional ability to stay in character if you will yeah during something like that because i can i got to, i can tell you man i've been on stage when like something has happened violence wise yeah. in the crowd it didn't it wasn't directed at me yeah but I've been doing that for a long time, and I did not have. I mean, like, I definitely could have probably kept playing, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm out of there. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. so the ability to do that is crazy. And the thing is, man, and I know maybe a lot of people that listen to this show they don't know this, but you know, when when Will Smith went up and slapped Chris Rock, the whole I, you know, the the consensus around the world or around the conversation was like, well, now it's you know, people are going to feel way more comfortable with attacking comedians or people that perform on stage yeah now you could say that these two events are correlative sure but are they directly related no however a lot again people a lot of motherfuckers don't know this but you know this isn't something that hasn't happened before dimebag daryl he's a guitar player for pantera was shot and killed on stage in the middle of a show so it's like if you're going to sit here and try to act like, oh, well, it's all good. Dave ate that spear. Yeah, he got, you know, uh, knocked down and then he got, got all taken out. It's not a big deal. He's a famous rich comedian. Like, he shouldn't be, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what you get when, or that's what you should deal with when you put yourself in the spotlight. It's like, no, bro. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You no, can't no, justify no. that. I mean. No, 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 no. I mean, the way I view it is, and I remember when we had uh, Tara Bowen Biggs on this podcast around the time when. The situation happened with Nurk and the fan in, what was it, Philly? The fan that was, like, talking about his grandma or whatever. And Nurk went and grabbed his phone, threw his phone, so on and oh, so right, forth. Oh, right, right. And she was, and obviously we've been seeing these, like, attacks against entertainers while in the midst of doing their work. And it's becoming, it's happening a, a bit too frequently, essentially. And... I the only theory that I could think of is that this is a direct correlation to and again not to compare incarceration to a fan attacking a, a comedian or a fan attacking and throwing shit at a player or whatever the case may be but like I can only correlate this to to like folks being locked down and in their homes essentially got institutionalized and now folks are getting back into general society after having that privilege taken away for them for the last couple of years and they legit don't know how to act. And I mean, there's a lot of data out there to support that mental health issues have increased drastically by way of this pandemic. Heck, I just had Senator Ron Whiten on the Street Roots podcast and, and, and one of the subjects that he's prioritizing is in his work right now as the chair of the Senate Finance Committee is mental health care access for all because obviously this pandemic has had huge implications on folks' mental health in a not-so-good way, and we're seeing folks lash out in these public settings mm. in ways that I'm not going to say hasn't happened before, but 
definitely not as frequently as they're happening today. And that's the only thing that I could see where it's like, man, society really don't know how to act in public now. It's no, just, and, and like it's, I said, not to compare it to somebody who actually has been incarcerated and been in jail, but like this was like a lighter form of incarceration for general society by having to quarantine and not being able to do the stuff that they're normally able to do that has an impact on their mental health, their hobbies, whatever the case may be, their work, their finances. Like there are so many elements that was impacted by way of this pandemic, essentially. So, man, th this is like just another eye opener mm -hmm. that. We got some real mental issues going on yeah, out here, I man. Mean, and that, <laughs> yo, I mean, absolutely. Not to laugh, bro. but yeah. No, nah, for real. I mean, and, and it's a major thing. And I mean, on that note, RIP, our oh, let me see, let me pull her up. I'm so sorry. A young a young woman at Southern University uh, lost her life um, uh, today. And gosh, I, I don't know her last name. Uh, a young woman named Orlana went to Southern University, a cheerleader there. And I mean, she posted online something about... Uh, you know, having mental health issues before I, I, I'm to understand that she took her life and RIP to that young woman. Absolutely, I mean, rest and, in peace. And here's the thing, man. It's like on this podcast, we talk about it as much as we can, or as much as it comes up. It's like it, there is no shame in the game of finding somebody to talk to or hitting yeah. up a, 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 a mental health crisis hotline or something to that yeah, effect. Yeah, her name is Arlana Miller. Arlana Miller. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, Arlana man. Miller, Southern University I mean, cheerleader, dies by suicide after, man, after posting heartbreaking message to Instagram. Sad, man, it's but so, it's real. It's so sad, bro. And, I mean, I try to – I tr when I when I think about this stuff, because I deal with that stuff. I mean, everybody does. Everybody deals with, you know, bouts of depression and, and suicidal thoughts, I'm sure, to a certain extent, and – and for me, I always try to look at it as objectively as I can in in that let like, you know, you're never at, until you're you're never out of the game. You know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah. Like if you are going through something or you're starting to struggle or you're starting to slip, you're never out of the game. Yeah. There's always time on the clock to be able to turn it around for until yourself. there isn't until there isn't sure. But yeah. I mean, like it really is, dude. It really is the responsibility of the you know your your immediate community. Be your friends. We talk to each other every day on the phone, bro. Yeah, and, and we talk to you know all of our other homies and constituents on the phone. I mean, and it's like, it's that little stuff. Yeah, that makes such a big difference. And just being able to keep people connected to you know hopefulness and right. the future. And so I just, I mean, it just it really breaks my heart. And I just hope that you know if anybody. Follow me on Twitter at Split Fan. Find me on Split Fan Gundy. I'll, I'll I'll DM you and talk to you. Whatever's clever, man. Just stay in the game, baby. We stay in the game. Stay in the game. That that's all we can ask. Again, you know, well wishes and condolences to the family and friends of Arlana Miller. And like I said, these these public like displays of just mental illness. Mm. Essentially, I, I do think a lot of it comes from a lot of the that we've had to deal with in these last couple of years. And like I said, I, I know there's elected officials that are working on, you know, being able to get more help for folks in these times because that is just, I mean, even dating back to like, you know, way back when we had Kavitha Davidson on the podcast and, and she, and this was what over a year ago now. And, um, you know, she was talking about then she, uh, she had made an appearance on uh Bob Costas show on HBO and essentially she was on there to talk about like 
the increase in mental illness for youth athletes because they didn't have the outlet to go out and play sports. You know what I mean? So it's like we're all being affected and impacted in so many subtle ways because we had privileges taken away from us that like directly enhance our mental health and they just kind of got stripped away from us with no real sign of return until it returned essentially and that's heavy to have to live with so again you know condolences to that family and we just gotta really stay on top of this mental health bit man we gotta stay on top of it i i do like i mean like is a weird word to say here but i mean i do appreciate that you know what the pandemic did is everybody had a common shared sort of like Experience. experience experience yeah 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 yeah, yeah. A, a bad one right you know? right right and i think it had a negative impact on everybody for sure especially on people's mental health but the problem is bro is that it's still like especially in the western world i think and and, and particularly in the united states like it's just the, the the social you know outlook on mental health is very dismissive and it's very reductive and a lot of people conceal their mental health struggles because you don't want to put that out to people who you feel like will then, you know, put you in a lower position in their mind right. or devalue you because that's just the way that society views yeah. mental health. For sure, and it's like for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, and but we don't, I, we, I don't, we don't do that on this side. <laughs> I mean, we don't do that on this side because. It's so easy to just slip into a, a, you know, feeling terrible or having a depressive episode. And it's like a funk. And it's like, bro, that's it, it's all good to do that. It, it, it's totally OK. And you should absolutely like not try to compartmentalize and, and, and dismiss those feelings in yourself mm-hmm. and surround yourself with people that aren't going to do that either. Because really, the only way out is through. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a strong way to finish the episode. On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. Oh, yeah.